0: And welcome to another rousy round of the Dice Are Screaming podcast, oh. brought to you by dice and what they do to you.
1: <laughs> ah, the moldy bread crust of gaming podcasts. The dice are screaming. That's us. And the last one, the last of the loaf. Oh. <laughs> I'm Randy. And I'm Mike. And we're your hosts for today's <laughs> we're the, session. We're the two cut-off end crusts of the <laughs> loaf that like, sat on top of the refrigerator for about three weeks until they started turning green. That is that is what we are to gaming podcasts. But it's still good to be here with you. So Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, we've been picking up some new folks, so thank you for all your participation. Got a little news to go over as well, which we'll get into right before jumping into some topic. But first... We have call-ins. Boy, do we have call-ins. We have all kinds of call-ins. So, well, let's get started. First, with Colin from Spike Pit,
1: going back to our Conan episodes. So, always good. Uh, and, you know, for those out there, Spike Pit is an incredibly fun podcast to listen to. You could listen to Colin talk all day. Yes. Uh, you know, he's got a very relaxed air uh, that just, you know, it's not the accent. It's the fact that he's very matter-of-fact... Very level headed, very calm and it's really it's really fun to just kick back and listen to little game review and strategy and concepts and uh game related issues in RPGs. So kick back and give that a shot. But first, hello Colin. Yep, take it away, Colin.
0: Hi guys, Colin SpikePit here. Hope this message finds you well. Just thought I'd let you know I really enjoyed your Conan episode. It got me all enthusiastic and fired up to find out a little bit more about getting hold of a DVD of the, of the film. I haven't seen it for years, and I've been listening to the soundtrack again. The other thing I've been doing is um, I've got one of the anthologies that compiles uh, a certain amount of the, the Conan comic strips. And um, I'm going to be going back through that. So, yeah... Obviously, I hadn't forgot about Conan, but it was nice to be reminded, and sounds like you guys are real big fans. Take it easy, keep up the good work, and I'll catch you later. All right, thanks for the kind words, Colin. Uh, it's good hearing from you. It's been a
1: while, but uh, glad everything's going well. Yeah, that soundtrack, of that, the Conan soundtrack is still a favourite in high rotation, with like... Literally, Randy and I both pass it back and forth between us on a regular basis to use it as background music for games, or to just groove to it at home, because Basil Polidorus's score is freaking amazing. You can can augment various parts of games with it, uh, with any number of different tracks from it, uh, or... You can just rock out at home to it. Because there, there are times where I'm, I'm here, at home, working on a project. And, you know, it just needs that little extra something to put me in the mood. And uh, No, I don't use the orgy theme for that. And I'm not no. wearing, oh, okay. I'm not wearing the kimono during any of that. But Well, thank the gods. <laughs> uh, but that battle theme. Oh, man. You know, when I'm looking to get stuff done. Like, I'm breaking out the toolkit and things are going to happen. Yeah. Conan soundtrack all the way.
0: And, yeah, we're big fans of the movie and the uh, literature. More probably Howard than uh, DeCamp. But, you know what? Um, I'm also a big fan of the Savage sort of Conan. Old uh, comics. Marvel Comics, the black and white monthly magazine that was pretty uh, popular back in the uh, late 80s and stuff like that. Yeah. But, yeah, um... Big shout-out for you on giving us some props to that one. Thank you, and glad you appreciate it. Uh, also, uh, a YouTube viewer, uh, Chaka-what? Drop by and give us some nice uh, insights. Chaka-what? Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, actually, I got the answer for you there. It's Khan. Oh. Chaka-Con. No, uh-huh. I'm kidding. No, it, uh, no the actual uh, person. It, it's Chaka-what, and this is a uh, a remarkable young person who does terrific reviews of comic books via YouTube. So it was, it was nice to get some, you know, like really outside our usual uh, zone uh, mm-hmm. that like we got noticed somewhere else. Uh, and that was just really exciting to see, but it's also nice to see uh, somebody, you know, a fraction of our age uh, showing an interest in and taking time out to look into the, the, past origins of of the whole conan saga uh you know from from its origins in pulp literature uh into its uh oh let's see the the series of books that became released during the seventies eighties yeah. uh and then into film and of course finally now uh you know we're we're seeing a yet another potential film. Yeah, Marvel
0: well. just got back, uh got it back from uh, Dark Horse, which Dark Horse did an amazing job.
1: Oh yeah. Uh well good know. movie. Just you know, I mean it wasn't uh, Oh no Dark no, Horse the, uh, the Yeah. They they took they over did a the good goal. work. Yeah, they
0: actually uh did a good job a uh, good run for about oh nine eight nine years there but uh, Marvel got it back and so they're uh taking a hold of it. Might be interesting to see what Disney does with the uh, Conan franchise, huh? Oh,
1: oh! Please, why do you threaten me with such
0: things? Well, you know, um, they did come out with uh, Dragon Slayer, although a lot of people would like you to forget that Dragon Slayer had one of Disney's first nude scenes in it.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. I'd forgotten.
0: But uh, you know, Dragon Slayer was a Disney project, and uh, had was removed. that in the
1: early Eisner? We're trying to be edgier years.
0: Uh yeah, I yeah, I think so that was a part of it, but also great special effects for the time. I mean oh. yeah, dated now both CGI oh, and all
1: sure. that. I mean they're all you know, all of these movies we love are a little dated now, but mm. but hey, in the absence of CGI, you know, like it was one of those ones that like they, they really busted their butt to hit it out of the park.
0: Yeah, so you know, uh the Conan movie, uh we're glad people enjoyed that. So uh that was a little uh, visit for us. Now uh We also have somebody else speaking out of outside of our realm. No, it's actually uh, Joe Richter, or blind rat, gave us a call in. So we're going to go right to Joe. Which I really want that to be a tavern name. Welcome to the blind rat. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll keep on that. And we'll be back after the break. Take it away, Joe. Hey, what's up, dudes? It's Joe again, the blind rat. I'm just calling because I think your last episode on Illusionist might have been a sign from the gods above. Uh, I'm getting ready to run through the Pathfinder War for the Crown campaign. That's right. actually get to be a player for a change. Uh, And I've been thinking about running an Illusionist Wizard because it sounds super fun. I've never done it before. And plus, it kind of sounds like playing on hard mode. So I've been debating between a couple characters, but I think this last episode of yours might have sealed the deal. So thanks so much for that. Plus, I also got to say, Mike, man. Your voice totally reminds me of the voice of my first ever Dungeon Master. Uh, It's super crazy. You sound exactly how I picture he would sound right now. So that's awesome, man. You guys have a great night. Bye. Thank you, Joe, for that. Those are nice, kind words to hear.
1: Oh, yeah. And I've got uh, one of those voices that people often say, you know, you sound like somebody I know. Ah, Just little little whiff of radio familiarity. Although the best I can say for myself is... <laughs> I'm a little closer to if Shadow Stevens had spent 20 years trying to be Keith Richards. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I mean that just like it sounds. Oh, boy. Well,
0: there's a mental picture for you.
1: Um, yeah, Woo! but the illusionist. A bit man. of Shabazz, drunk down a guitar neck.
0: Woo! <laughs> yeah, i um, glad you were inspired by... Uh, playing an
1: Illusionist and our Illusion episode. Oh, and it is actually an adventure to play an Illusionist. Uh, I, I I like that you mentioned it, Like this is like playing in hard mode. Because early levels, it is. It is like activating the hard mode in a video game. Uh, and I, if I'm just going to throw out some recommendations right now, check the equipment tables, pile up, on stuff that circumvents, like your only effects being through spell casting. Get your uh, flammables and holy water and type stuff. Have that at the ready so that you've got more functions than mere spells. Then use deception, trickery, uh, cunning, and skullduggery in tandem. Well, with if, yeah, if, other if stuff. you were playing
0: first edition, sure. I mean, they did have color spray, and I mean, illusionists are a little bit more uh, versatile now than they were. Back then, they they really kind of were underpowered, but big thing is, don't overreach with your phantasmal forces, you know, don't try to make, you know, an epic level dragon up here in front of somebody, and you'll probably be alright. Also, Color Spray is your friend. You know, oh, some yeah. Some of the other enchantment spells. Uh, Best illusionist yeah. opener, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, uh, have fun, let us know how it goes. So, we're glad to have that, and uh, so on to our news. Occasionally, we do talk about news in the gaming world, and uh, Wizards... This uh, weekend announced that they were doing uh, the Secrets of Saltmarsh Marsh uh, adventure, and so oh, getting it's like game game they were issue? listening to us. Yeah, it's getting it, but it's not going to be in Greyhawk or
1: anything like that. It's going to be setting neutral. But uh, oh, all right, well no, I uh, I approve. Oh, well, I, I do I, too. I, I like, like and, uh, setting neutral things that can be you know uh, made use of by a wide variety of DMs running different campaigns. That's terrific.
0: Well, a lot of people in Greyhawk feel that, you know, the Saltmarsh is traditionally their property. And maybe rightly so that it was firmly placed in the world of Greyhawk. But I don't think it was set in stone that it was only playable in Greyhawk. And there are many places that uh, you can put the Saltmarsh little village and all those events that went on.
1: Oh, yeah. It was such a wonderfully self-contained. Everything was within a like few you know, hectares of uh, one another. You know, It was not meant to be a globe spanner. Uh, but it was a really tightly, well-packed three-series, you know, three-module series that just, man, I mean, you could run people to uh, about sixth level with just that series alone, maybe fifth. Yeah, so, you know, apparently somebody was was listening to one of our podcasts because we covered that topic a while back. Maybe that lit a little fire under somebody. I, so, who knows? I, even if it's not us, then, I mean, you know, we twigged it to something that was definitely something that other people are noticing. Hey, no. I'm, I'm on. just going to I'm just gonna put it out there. I mean, I'm just saying it's, you know, we got our finger on the pulse. That's oh. right. We'll take them where we can
0: get them. And uh, so that means that uh, our planned episode of covering the cult of the reptile god. Oh. The village of Orland and all that. Well, maybe we'll see some uh, blowback from that as well. So, on to our topic tonight. Uh, now that we covered the news and had our Collins. Thanks, everybody. Kimonos. What do we know about...
1: No, no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The mating
0: habits of the gas spore. (laughs) Is the gas spore unfertilized eggs of beholders? Ah. Mm -hmm. Okay. No. Okay. What we're talking about tonight... Tetherballs of gassy doom. What we're talking about tonight is... Dragon Magazine. Oh. Yeah, and... This is an homage to Dragon Magazine based on a lot of different things, but... uh, as well, you'll soon find out if you stick with us or come,
1: just tune us out. Yeah, run! There's still time. <laughs> yes, you can get away. Get the women and children to higher ground. <laughs> uh, we are
0: uh, a lot of, in a lot of ways, children of the '80s. But uh, that's where we grew up. I mean, we cut our teeth in the '70s, but you know, that was, our adolescence was spent in idle. Our, our idle time was spent listening to crazy music and. Reading strange fiction books at our library.
1: Yeah, the the seventies look, uh you know, we we made our first brush up against our role playing games, uh and tabletop gaming at the tail end of the seventies, but we were very young, so there was a great deal of fumbling around. Now we get to the eighties and you know, we're entrenched as like, Oh yeah, we're gamers now. Yeah. This is a thing we do, this is not a one-off quirk. This, you know, we're sticking with this little program. High
0: score on River Raid. I actually took a Polaroid and sent it in.
1: (laughs) Four-player gauntlet down at the mall. Yeah. Aladdin's Castle. Back before they decided that teenagers were in the way, and, you know, like, that was just a detriment to malls.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Ah, young people make old people uncomfortable. Get them out of here. (laughs) We just want to walk in peace and not shop. Yeah, smart marketing move there, boss. See where they wound up. <laughs> but, you know... Uh, Dragon we, Magazine comes with that era. We did that. have the internet. We no, we did had video games,
0: and we did have a lot of things going on. But, Dragon Magazines has a special place in our gaming culture, and uh, we're going to cover that today. So, starting off at first, it was initially called... <laughs> Strategic Review Boy. TSR.
1: Uh, a bit... And, well, let's face it, that did not draw a lot of attention. Uh, you name something the Strategic Review, and the first thing any junior high kid thinks is, oh, that sounds like homework. Yeah. <laughs> I am out. Oh, man, that's the last you're going to see of me. They go running the other way, you know, just tail between their legs. Yip, <laughs>
0: Yeah, and Dragon Magazine wouldn't, uh, well, would morph into Dragon Magazine, but the strategic reviews where it all got started, and that was primarily because TSR, Tactical Studies Rules, was founded not only just to make Dungeons & Dragons, but other games like Tractics.
1: And they made a lot of other great games. Dawn Patrol. Well, Dawn Patrol, yeah, the World War
0: One role-playing game. Yep, that's right. You could actually... Keep track of your pilot between
1: missions, and... Lafayette Escadrille. Yes. American reporting. Volunteer. You know, just... Curse yeah. you, Red Baron. <laughs>
0: Down the,
1: again. Look out for the Hun in the sun. Darn those Huns and their Maxim machine guns. Yes, sir. Uh... Oh, but uh, Dawn Patrol and other nifty games came out of that era. Yeah, uh, don't DSR... give up the ship. TSR was doing a lot of interesting things. Uh, They were not just this... uh, We think of them now as, like, D&D. They were the D&D guys. And then they had some, like, little stuff on the side. No, at at their infancy, they were pushing a lot of different games, and one of them happened to be the whole D&D thing. Yeah, they got them out on the map, but they... They didn't really know that it was going to explode like it did, just like they were a toddler with a hand grenade. They had no idea (laughs) how this was going to go off. And
0: more to the point, um, they began to realize that D&D was what people were getting it for. And uh, the content soon took over, and so a name change was had. And so it was The Dragon.
1: Yes, it was not Dragon Magazine at first. It it became The Dragon. And may I say, it was not their finest outing in the world of magazines. TSR, or you know, the Strategic Review, had a slapdash... Uh, college pamphlet feel to it. Yeah, you know, it was put together by a bunch of people who knew that they were not reaching a big audience, and they just packed as much uh, serious information about what they were talking about mm-hmm. into every episode as they could. And I, I think the spirit of it was great. So I'm, I'm not. This is not a diss. This is not me. Oh no, not anywhere. No, uh, they they did. As much to get material in there as cheaply and as quickly as possible, just BAM! We packed this full of stuff that people will like. Well, that carried over to the early Dragon episode, so it was a little clunky. And if if you've seen some of these very first issues of the Dragon, uh, (laughs) it it, it does look like it was put together by a bunch of uh, college students who, you know, uh, may have had some of that bong water. Uh, oh. in their coffee. Well, if you
0: know anything about the early editor, Tim Kask, you would not be too far from wrong. Oh, okay. And Tim so. Kask is a great guy from back in the day. and uh, But, you know, it was sort of almost like a fanzine, but it started to take off in its own right. and
1: uh, Oh, they got professional quick. You know, I, I may poke a little fun at those oh, sure. first issues. But you saw this very hasty transformation in the space of just a year or so. Uh, as they organized, they started delivering much more attractive, uh, well-indexed content. Uh, it just it became the signature magazine for people gaming in the United States in the 1980s. Yeah, and
0: there were other game magazines that would come along and do it a little bit better. Uh, White Dwarf, although it started kind of a slapdash as well, they covered a larger... Uh, and more diverse scene of games and they were from England so you got your RuneQuest Quest and Traveler a lot more and featured in that one and also different worlds uh, which was like
1: 90% of what I followed White Dwarf for I was a big fan of Traveler at the time so uh, I would you know <laughs> get my paws on a copy just to get those Traveler modules
0: yeah and you could get uh, D&D as well as RuneQuest, Quest and get exposed to some other games long before it became a house organ, but for just uh, selling miniatures. And, uh, you know, Different Worlds was another magazine that, uh, mostly by Steve Jackson Games, and uh, there was another one, Imagine too. But, you know, these just, uh, they didn't have the impact that Dragon Magazine did, and it was literally the 500-pound gorilla in the room, or 800-pound, or 1,300-pound gorilla, if you want. It was the big one, and the thing that really started to kick in was it became more than just about D&D. It was a little bit of a trade magazine and also gave you a general feel of what
1: was out there. Oh, the ads they had from small press game releases. Look, look, this is an important point to denote. Although D&D was their flagship brand and the Dragon Magazine was their vehicle for lots of articles and things about Dungeons & Dragons, that did not stop the Dragon Magazine from having acres of ads for every game created by every person who was, like, pushing a new idea. Uh, we would not have seen ads for these games had it not been for that. There was no internet, there was no random search strings, there was no Google. If you were a gamer, you had the Dragon, and you would go there, pop this magazine open, and BAM! Talislanta, what's that about? Middle Earth role playing game, mm-hmm. what's that about? Just these lavish, you know, uh, collections of ads. Of even the uh, the old Empire or of uh, the Petal Throne. Uh, what was yeah, they,
0: they put some of that in there too. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I have to give a retraction. The ads. Uh, Different Worlds was uh, Chaosium,
1: not Steve oh, Jackson. Chaosium. Okay.
0: Yeah, that was Chaosiums, which. But yeah, you would you would see all sorts of things uh in there. Um Fantasy Games Unlimited, um uh, there's Space Opera, Chivalry and Sorcery, Villains Vigilantes. Oh. They kinda like to hit that uh, you know, like Dungeons and Dragons and you know, they hit that along with some other small and obscure games, uh Jeroen was one of the ones that just the artwork wow. alone begged you to like, what in the heck is this going on?
1: What's this about? <laughs> I, I can hear the Grateful Dead playing in the background yeah, here. You know, you know. Like, uh, no, they were just this big, beautiful, weird world of things out there waiting for you to discover uh, just out of sight. And I liked that they took the time out. I mean, they yeah, they were raking in advertising dollars for other people's games. Uh, It in no way diluted their brand. Uh, Their sales only got stronger, which uh, it's a ship that, you know, sinks or floats together in the gaming world. Uh, Either all games are doing well or all games are doing poorly. Uh, And I I think that the staff over at the dragon, you know, got that, that, you know, we we increase gaming as a hobby. We all win. Right. Uh,
0: They definitely put a lot of ships afloat. That's for sure. Um, uh, some of the uh, things that came out of Dragon Magazine, although it was primarily for Dungeons and Dragons and TSR games, um, they did occasionally lend some uh, time to other games when they got submissions for them. But another thing you could see is the opinions and letters column. You could kind of judge what was going on out in the wilds out there. And it kind of, as Mike said before, there were search strings and, you know, uh, search engines and Reddit strings that you could go through and find out information on. This was kind of a proto thing, and it did work well for the time, and uh, we still, to this day, kind of miss it. I mean, I'm not saying that, yeah, online isn't uh, more diverse and more easy accessible, but there was something about each month having an issue come out.
1: Oh, yeah. You went to your local comic shop or your game hobby store uh, and... This also created a secondary side effect. You did not meet in some, like, discussion board online. Uh, you know, you put up a little note uh, to other gamers. So You're like, you just send up a smoke signal. Yeah. And maybe somebody in your town is also interested in the game. You left a phone number, and they, you know, you get a call from somebody. It's like, so you guys have, like, a game going? I mean, like, how many players you got? You know, is your table full? Uh, yeah. Well, what's the, the campaign like? And... That was how gamers met then. The Dragon, the process of going to a physical location and getting it, put you in touch with other gamers. You all know where to go to get it.
0: Yeah, and sure, there are better services that do it nowadays. But one of the things that we have to really uh, come across in why we're covering this is that it's kind of an era that maybe it's better it's gone, I'm not going to sit here and, and preach that, oh, back in the back of their old days it was good and better.
1: Get <laughs> off my lawn, you kids!
0: I mean, there are places like Warhorn and other uh, player uh, services that can get you in touch with groups, and uh, of course, Roll20. Hmm. And uh, the other services let you play on, online and over vast distances, and that's not
1: bad. Yeah, I'm happy uh, <clears> that they're, you know, it's. It... It may have been one thing for those of us who dwelt somewhere near a town of some size, uh, where if you got, like, forty, fifty thousand 50,000 people at your disposal, you know, if even 1% of them play, then you've got hundreds of potential players to pick from. There's a lot of people who live in far more rural areas uh, where they had no options. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, I tried to get my little brother to play, but, you know, he just wanted to go eat dirt. Because he, <laughs> he was four, you know, just... Yeah, it was not it was not a great era. It had its deficits too. So, uh, three cheers for modernity. Uh, the yeah. internet has given us this amazing gift, where everybody who's out there who has a common interest can bind each other, and I think that's brilliant, man.
0: Yeah, and if we're a little love lorn over, uh, well, we don't have a dragon magazine. I know that uh, Wizards made an attempt with uh, Dungeons and Dragons Online. To they kind of- did to do the same thing that uh, Dragon did, but... Not
1: I, quite the
0: same. Yeah, you know, it are just, just... Our generation doesn't groove on that as much, and...
1: I, I admit, that's a generation gap thing, talking here, is that we're from the age of the book in the magazine, and it was normative to us to go to a place, buy a thing, take it home, and then crack it open and read it. And there was a certain, like, apprehensive joy. You're like, just... Is this going to be a good one? Or is, yeah. you know, is this going to... Could be some lackluster articles in here. Or I could, like, read the greatest article I've ever read. And I'm totally going to need this yeah, for my Yeah, New Combat. Game. Yeah, there were a lot of
0: things like that. There were some of them where, like... Where, you know, this is a great rule system. I can't wait to incorporate this. Or this is a good suggestion on how to... Uh, narrate. I remember uh, there was one where they did a complete exploration of ruins and dungeons. Both in the real world and the mythic. And then kind of combined them together. And that's kind of the inspiration for where we come from is uh, by vicariously through some of those articles that inspired us when they would talk and deal in depth about certain aspects of what we take for granted. Like, well, what is a dungeon? Well, it's a hole in the ground. Usually with some <laughs> monsters in it. Okay, but where did that come from? You know, what are the antecedents that give you that idea? and you know that kind of starts you off on a path that leads you in different directions than when you initially started and at the end of it you will come back round full circle and you're a little wiser
1: ah oh the dungeon but uh, no that does remind us to at least nod towards dungeon magazine now we're we're covering the dragon and dragon yeah they had magazine. adventures in dragon but magazine d- the dragon had started off, and they realized very quickly that to include a mini-module ate up a lot of page space. So they branched off and they created Dungeon, which just became this terrific collection of other people from all over the United States and elsewhere. Uh, It was their ideas getting published and I always thought that was just one of the coolest things ever. That Like, if you, you know, are a player and a DM, And you put some time and thought into something, and you create a really cleaned-up, well-edited version of an adventure that you thought was great. That had a chance at getting published. I always thought that was just nifty. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's not really that different now. I mean... Power of the internet and the ease of communications means that you can submit things to various organizations, you can shop around, or you can even sell the stuff yourself online. And there is a thriving community of people uh, publishing material for gaming now. Yeah, so, the yeah. Games
0: Guild, uh, hosted by Wizards, is a great place. Also, RPG Now or Drive Through RPG, and uh, those are all good places to get uh, your stuff out. So it's still there. It's just a different form and. If we seem a little curmudgeonly about it, it's not uh, to cast aspersions at anyone. To no. Taking advantage no. of the modernity of our age. And no, technology I, I, is your friend.
1: Zero hostility. It, it's just a, a kind of fond remembrance of the era where you actually owned it, uh, where you, you know, felt the pages and they were, you know, like there and they were unaltered. Yeah. Uh, and, and there is one hazard I've noticed in this era of everything is online uh, and then it is all subject to a greater degree of control by the original publishers. Yeah, uh, Which if they choose to change something then they can change everything about it uh, at its point of access. And, you know, that it, it's like they can erase history. We just, you know, first we erase it then we say, well, that didn't happen. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas yeah. in the days of publication, you're like ah yeah tough break champ. I'm not handing over this copy of it. Uh, I I bought that with my own money. I it, and it's written in fricking stone. I'll, I'll keep it just the way it is. Well, uh, so I I do have a little misgiving about that.
0: But, well, there is some also uh, mention about uh, you can get your material published and sent to you in uh, uh, hardback form or even. Uh, you know, loose leaf if you so desire, besides just printing it off on a printer, you know. 80 bucks and a couple printer color printer cartridges, and I've got a full module printed out. Uh, or, you know, you can just uh, have Lulu do it, and uh, they'll send it to you uh, bound in a hardback.
1: Oh, geez. Yeah, I, I should <laughs> go through the old loose leaf binders from the 80s and... Unload a stack of my old modules. Mm. Uh, There's a lot of handwritten material. Uh, A lot of stuff that uh, got tucked away into nooks, crannies, and corners. And there's a lot of new stuff that, frankly, in the current campaign I have not fleshed out as completely as I should have. Uh, Because so often it happens so fast in the course of a game that there's no time to make a full accounting. Yeah. But, that said... Uh, Dragon Magazine, uh, well, how many issues did it run, finally? Oh, I think it got over... uh, hmm. Over 300? Yeah. I
0: think that was about when they gave it up. But, yeah, uh, so hats off and a poured-out drink to the old Dragon Magazine and your antecedent to the uh, dungeon. And, uh, of course, all the things that came in between those times, those were good times, but uh, also... This is with eyes wide open to the future, so we hope you enjoyed this uh, episode of The
1: Dice Screaming. Yeah, it was a pleasure to discuss one of our favorites, and a a place of enormous inspiration to us that, at that time, uh, was like a lifeline to new ideas at an age when, you know, (laughs) our our empty heads were just waiting for more stuff. No, More! Yep, yeah, you could pour it in, because there wasn't anything in between. I, for one, welcome my Dungeon Overlord.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> with that, we're going to bid you adieu, and we hope you enjoy it again. And if you have any comments or questions or things you'd like us to talk about, or things that we got messed up, hey, feel free to let us know at our usual haunts on
1: because Facebook. Because we have no shame.
0: We don't. It's true. <laughs> Yeah, our uh, Facebook page, The Dice Are Screaming, and, of course, on Twitter, where you can get a hold of me at Death Hand, that's D-E-T-H-A-N-D, Gaming. And Box. Yep, on Twitter, and you can just get a hold of us right there. Just like that, Magic in the Air. All right, well, we hope you have a good weekend. We'll talk to you Friday. Until then,
1: may the dice dice always always roll in your your favor.
0: favor. We're
1: out. See ya.